0: The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. As we have the last um, few weeks now walked through the opening part of 1 Peter, we've seen some uh, pretty important and weighty truths. We've seen that God has has chosen us for salvation. That before the foundation of the world, according to his foreknowledge, he chose us for salvation. We saw last week that this should produce from us worship. That's the blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This should produce in us a new birth. That he's caused us to be born again. This should produce to us a living hope based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our, our hope is in a person. That person is Jesus. And Jesus is alive. And since Jesus is alive, our, our hope is alive. So this, this choosing of us, this salvation that's been given to us, that's been granted to us, should produce from us worship, in us new birth, to us a living hope, and for us an inheritance. And inheritance. Really, what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is a, a pretty good study of salvation, isn't it? A theological term for that is soteriology, the study of salvation, how salvation works, what salvation does. And this morning, this study is going to continue in verses 6 through 9 as Peter shows us what our salvation should produce, and that is joy. Joy. That's the theme of verses 6 through 9. The theme is joy. What we see is that joy is the result of God's gift of salvation. God has chosen us. He's given us. us according to his great mercy a new birth and that new birth brings a living hope and an inheritance as Peter says that is imperishable undefiled unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be uh, revealed in the last time that all of this should result in our joy that's where Paul's headed here the theme is salvation joy. And the reality is is that salvation should always result in joy. This is what we see in Jesus's parables in Luke chapter 15. Jesus gives three parables of salvation and I want you to see the common theme, the common thread that runs throughout these in Luke chapter 1 or chapter 15 starting in verse One Now the the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he told them a parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders... Rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You see this theme of of joy, the shepherd rejoicing, the lost sheep has been found. Heaven rejoicing, a sinner's. Come to know the grace of God. In verse 8. Or what woman having ten silver coins. If, if she loses one. Does not light a lamp and sweep the house. And seek diligently until she finds it. And when she's found it. She calls together her friends and her neighbors. Saying rejoice with me. For I've found the coin that I've lost. And just so I tell you. There is joy before the angels of God. Over one sinner who repents. Again you see joy. Joy of A woman who's lost the coin and finds it joy in heaven over a sinner who repents. Verse 11. And he said, there's a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into the far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I will perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and bring a, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is Found, And they began to celebrate. What do you see? What's the common theme that you see running throughout these parables? It is that when salvation comes, joy follows. That there is joy that is produced both in heaven as the angels, as God rejoices over a sinner who's been found over a sinner who repents. And there should be joy in us. That salvation produces as God graciously through the gift of his mercy calls us unto himself and gives us salvation. The result of that should be joy. But let's be real. We live in a broken world. We live in a difficult world. We live in a world marked by suffering. When we just finished doing this little short series on where we turn and what we do in difficult and dark times. Our lives are marked by suffering. This was true for the readers of this letter. Peter writing this letter to Christians that were a part of the Roman Empire. These these cities listed here, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. This is modern-day Turkey. A province of the Roman Empire who are, if it hasn't started yet, has about to start the worst persecution that the church had ever seen under Emperor Nero. The murder of Christians for sport. The dipping of them in in pitch to light them on fire so that they could be the light for the city. There is unspeakable suffering that these brothers and sisters are undertaking. Now, We may may not know that kind of suffering. Praise God that we don't. There are brothers and sisters today, alive today, that know that kind of suffering. We may not know that kind of suffering, but we do suffer. And we all face things that steal our joy. If you haven't faced those things, you will face those things. But the reality is we all face those things. We all have circumstances in our lives that don't produce joy, but instead work to take joy. And so the question is where do we go? What do we do? Where can joy be found? If salvation should produce joy, yet we live in a world that is actively pressing against our joy, then as believers in Jesus Christ, Where do we go? What do we do? Where can joy be found? And in these three verses, Peter gives us five joy producers. Five joy producers that even in the middle of difficult circumstances and even in the middle of sufferings that we can turn to, to... Uh, find joy, to have the joy of our salvation rekindled. That's my prayer this morning, is that if you're suffering, if you're in the middle of dark times, if you're in the middle of difficult times, or if you're not, when those times come, that from the scriptures this morning, you'll be armed with these five things that you can know that will work to produce joy that comes from salvation. The first of those is a guarded inheritance, a guarded inheritance. You see that in verse 6, the first two words, in this. Peter says, in this you rejoice, in this. Now, what is this this, right? That should be the question we're asking. In this you rejoice. What Paul is what Peter is saying is, is there is something that causes you to rejoice. So what is that something? What is that this? It points back to what came before in verses 4 and 5. So just as a reminder, Peter says, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. What Peter's saying is, is that it is this inheritance, this guarded inheritance that should lead you to rejoicing. Now, I'm a fan of the ESV. That's the, the, the translation of the Bible I use. There are lots of good translations. I do think that the ESV misses it on this word. It doesn't do this word justice, this word rejoice. This isn't just like, you know, woohoo, kind of rejoicing. This is a strong word. This is a strong word. This is a word that is used very, very rarely. I read in a commentary, I don't know that it's true, because how could you know that it's true? But it says that this word was not used in Greek literature at all. What? Well, I don't know that anybody's ever read every piece of Greek literature to know it was never used. But I think the point is, is this word is used almost exclusively in God's word. It's a a specific word that has to do with spiritual joy. It never references an earthly joy or a temporal joy. It only has a reference to a joy in in a spiritual nature. This is the word that Mary uses in Luke 1. As she worships God because of the news that she's just gotten. This is what she says. And Mary said, Luke 1:46: My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. That's this word. And she's overcome with joy. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me Blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. This is the word used of the Philippian jailer in Acts 16. As he comes to faith in Jesus Christ, not only him, but his entire household. In Acts 16, 34, says, Then he brought them up into his house and set food before him, and he rejoiced. Along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. You see it. This is a joy that's born out of salvation. This is a salvation joy. Really, the the better translation here is to greatly rejoice or to rejoice exceedingly a spiritual joy, a salvation joy, to be exceedingly glad. It's to have a joy that exceeds your circumstances. Because it comes from a guarded inheritance. It comes from a sure knowledge that what is laid up for me is an inheritance that can never fade. It's an inheritance that can never end. And not only is my inheritance permanent, never fading, never ending. But I... Can never fall away because I'm being protected. I'm being guarded by God. That's that's verse five. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What Peter's telling us is that your joy can be found in your guarded inheritance. That there is waiting for us an inheritance that is undefiled, that is unfading, that is incorruptible. But not only is it being guarded, we are being guarded so that we could never fail fall away. Because salvation has been given to us. Because new birth has been produced in us. Now, no matter what, that inheritance is ours. And that should produce in us a joy that is greater than any of our circumstances. That there is an ultimate glory waiting for you in Jesus Christ. This is Romans 5.2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith. Into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope, the glory of God. That's joy. That's joy. Salvation has produced in us a joy because it has come out of and from a guarded inheritance that we know is ours and that we can never lose. So as suffering comes, as pain comes, as sickness comes, as hurt comes, as darkness comes, as the world fades away, we know that there is something greater waiting for us that can never fade away. And that produces joy. Listen, church, this is not a denial of suffering. I Please do not hear me say that this is a denial of suffering. This is not a denial of suffering. This is just a greater perspective. We will suffer. You will suffer. And that suffering is real and that suffering hurts. And you'll never hear me say that God doesn't want anybody to suffer. As a matter of fact, we're about to get to the very fact that he does in the next verse. We don't deny suffering. We just have a different perspective. Because we have a guarded inheritance. That's the first thing that produces joy. The second thing is a genuine faith. A genuine faith. Look what Peter says. In this you rejoice. What this verse tells us, church, is that joy does not come through the absence of suffering, but through suffering. Joy doesn't come from the absence of suffering, but through suffering. See, the world tells us that your joy comes from an absence of suffering. Therefore, we should work all that we can to ensure that we don't suffer, right? But that's not what God's Word tells us. God's Word tells us that joy comes through suffering. Now, how in the world, because that seems crazy, how in the world can joy come through suffering? It's because it is suffering that proves your faith as genuine. And when you know your faith is genuine, you have joy. It is when we suffer and we don't lose heart. It is when we suffer and we don't stop trusting that our faith is proven as genuine. Now we learn some things here about suffering from this verse. We learn four things I think are important. The first thing we learn is that suffering doesn't last, right? That's what Peter says. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while. A little while. Suffering doesn't last. Now, it can be difficult to believe that in the midst of suffering. And suffering can be prolonged. A season of suffering can be extensive. But the good news is that suffering will never last. Why? Because if it doesn't end in this life, it will certainly end in the next because we have a, a guarded inheritance. But in the middle of suffering, it helps to remind us that this is temporary. Suffering will not last. A second thing we see is that suffering serves a purpose. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. You see, the suffering of a believer isn't random. It isn't happenstance the suffering of a believer is necessary because God is using it to produce things in us. That is the clear teaching of scripture. That's the clear evidences of scripture. That's the clear evidences of believers that God is using the suffering of his people for a purpose to produce in us some things that are needed, some things that are necessary. Things like humility. Suffering humbles us and we need humility because God regards the humble. Suffering produces in us less worldliness, right? As the world is stripped away from us, guess what? We become less worldly. Suffering produces in us a strength of character. Produces in us a, a willingness and an eagerness to help others. Suffering leads us to repentance. God uses suffering in our lives to produce things. Suffering is necessary. It's necessary. This whole Christian fad of the best is yet to come, puzzles me. Because when you hear that, they don't mean heaven. They mean things are getting better for you. Things are looking up for you, right? Because you're at church and you're paying attention and you're taking notes and you might even sing some Words not loud enough for anybody to hear you, but you're singing and you might put some money in an offering plate. That means God's happy with you, so things are going to turn around now, right? I mean, that's what that means. The best is, is yet to come. That may not be true, y'all. What happens when it isn't true? If that's what we preach and then your husband dies, what happens? If that's what we preach and your, your child dies, what happens? If that's what we preach and you lose your job and your house is foreclosed on, then what happens? You start thinking, well, maybe I didn't do enough. Maybe I didn't give enough. Maybe God isn't pleased enough. That's how these, these televangelists get rich. We didn't give enough, give some more. No, God is using suffering in our lives as a necessary part of our sanctification, of making us more like Christ. First Peter 5.10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That is promised. But that may not be in this life. And I find it really cool that the guy who's writing this is, is killed. For the gospel of Jesus Christ. The suffering serves a purpose. The third thing we see is suffering hurts. In this, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved. Now you might be thinking, duh. Like that's some deep truth there, suffering hurts, right? I mean, come on, Jason. Everybody knows suffering hurts. Well, Peter says it, you've been grieved. And I do think that it is important. To acknowledge that suffering hurts and it is okay to hurt. And it is important to acknowledge that joy isn't pretending like it doesn't hurt. But joy is growing in the hurt. Christian joy is not, let me pretend like everything is good. I'm too blessed to be depressed. Because if I come and I show my hurt, then people won't think I'm, I'm spiritual. It's not, Peter says, you have been grieved. Like Suffering is real and, and suffering hurts. And it isn't helping to tell someone just to get over it and it shouldn't hurt. If you're a believer in Christ, it shouldn't hurt. If you're a believer in Christ, you, those things shouldn't bother you. But instead, what we want to do is help them work through the hurt to see what the suffering is, is producing in them. Suffering hurts. Suffering doesn't last. Suffering serves a purpose. Suffering hurts. And then fourthly, suffering comes in various forms. In this, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. It comes in all sorts of ways. And it is when you pass through these times of suffering that the testing of your faith becomes proven. That's verse seven. So that the tested genuineness of your faith. Here's what that means. Church, listen, if you went through your life without any difficulties, without any suffering, how could you know that your faith was real? Because nothing ever tested it. I mean, if you strolled through life, not a care in the world, not a problem in the world, not one ounce of suffering, everything you ever needed, everything you ever wanted, how would you ever know that your faith is real? But instead, it's when you are put to the test. It's when you are in the fire of suffering and you never lose your trust and love of God that you know your faith is real. That's how you know. Because in the midst of suffering, in the midst of of pain, you don't lose hope, you don't lose faith, you don't lose trust, you don't lose love. This is what suffering does. It is the refiner's fire that proves the genuineness of our faith. People all the time ask me, how do I know that I'm saved? The way you know that you're saved is that you Have faith. That's how you know that you're saved. You've never lost it. It really doesn't have anything to do with walking an aisle when you're in the fifth grade and saying a prayer. It has to do, have you now in the middle of suffering held fast to Jesus Christ? And it's suffering that proves this for us. It's not proving this for God, right? This isn't God in heaven saying, I need to see if your faith is genuine. So I'm going to put suffering on you so that I can know. Because God knows. He already knows. He knows everything. Instead, it is here is suffering so that as you walk through it and you trust me, you believe in me, you love me, you grow in this. When you come outside of the, the backside of this, then you know your faith is real. And when you know your faith is real, guess what happens? Salvation joy. A genuine faith produces joy. A joy more precious than gold. Now why is a joy of a genuine salvation more precious than gold? Peter tells us because gold will fade away. Gold will perish. But salvation joy never ends. It lasts. It lasts. So, where do we find joy? We find joy in a guarded inheritance, and we find joy in a genuine faith. Next, we find joy in a given glory. In a given glory. so that the test of genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ Now I want us to read this really carefully because what Peter is saying is that praise and glory and honor is ours. It is your faith that is found to result in praise and glory and honor. So we've got that clause in there that makes it be a little difficult to see that so that the tested genuineness of your faith and then Peter has this clause in there more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor. It's the tested genuineness of your faith. It's your faith that results in praise, in glory, and in honor. Here's what that means. It means that because of your genuine faith, God will give to you praise and glory and honor. This is staggering to me. That when Christ is revealed at the end, when when He is revealed in His glory for who He is, that God will give those who are His praise and glory and honor that belong to Him, but He gives it to us because of our genuine faith. That's crazy. I'm gonna get from God praise and glory and honor because of a genuine faith that wasn't even mine to begin with, right? Talk about a gracious God. This is the well done, my good and faithful servant moment, right? This is, this is Jesus saying of, of the, the servants who were all given money and they were charged to, to care for their master's money well and some one you know spent it and didn't do anything and one buried it and didn't do anything but the other invested it and made more and what did the master say to to the servant, the master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. that That's what Jesus is saying that God will say to us. Do you, do you understand that in the end, when the end comes because of our tested genuineness of our faith, because our faith is real, we will stand before God and he will heap on us praises. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now I'm sitting here going, ain't no way because I'm pretty messed up. But that's the good news of the gospel. Even though I'm messed up, even though I'm sinful, God doesn't hold that against me. Instead, when he sees me, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And so the praise that is reserved for Jesus Christ by grace is now given to me. And I receive from God praise. That's crazy. But not only praise, but we get glory. And I read that and I think, man, that's really hard because I want God to get all the glory. But no, in the end, we will receive God from God glory. We will be glorified. Now, what is that? What does that look like? I think that's your glorified body. You receive from God a glorified, perfect, holy body. And I will have long, flowing, beautiful hair. <laughs> and I cannot wait. You will, I will look in the mirror and see a full head of hair. Unbelievable. That hasn't happened since you know, my sophomore year of high school. A glorified body. That's not our glory. We didn't earn that. We didn't deserve that. That's given to us from God. Glory, praise is ours. Glory is ours. Honor is ours. Now, there's some debate. If this is just Peter, you know, just stacking words, that all mean the same thing. And that could be what he's doing. He's wanting to make a point of what we receive from God, that, that we're, we are given glory. And then some say, well, well, the praise is this verbal you know, proclamation, well done, good and faithful servant. The glory is, here's a glorified body. And the honor is, here is all the gifts of heaven that are yours. And it could be that. It could be just stacking it to make a point. Either way, that's pretty awesome. Either way, that produces joy. Right? Right? I mean, even in the midst of suffering to know that one day because of the tested genuineness of my faith, I will receive from God praise and glory and honor. They're mine because of the tested genuineness of my faith that I can't even keep. He's keeping for me. That's crazy. That's crazy. I said five, but I mean four things that produce joy. Here's the fourth a growing relationship. Verse eight. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. What is this? This is a growing relationship. The more that we suffer, the more that our faith is proven, the more our faith grows. And the more our faith grows, the more our love for him grows. That's that's Peter's point. You haven't seen him and you love him. I love that coming from Peter because Peter's seen him. Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? And feed my sheep. Yet three times he denied him. But God's still gracious. And Peter still loves him. But you've never seen him. And I've never seen him. But we still love him. And though we do not now see him, we still believe in him that's trust and we rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible I, I love this this is, this is a joy that is literally means above language a joy that is higher than speech a joy that's so divine we can't even communicate it because it doesn't make sense to love some guy we've never seen I just realized it was a lot easier to say that before the internet. Cuz now there're probably a lot of people who love a guy they've never seen, but it's weird to love a guy we've never seen. To love a guy that lived some 2000 years ago. To believe in a guy we we've, we've never seen. That's weird. But that produces in us a joy that is above language, higher than speech. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And then look at verse nine. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Here's what's amazing about this is that this verse is in present tense. Now we could read that and think that Peter is just talking about the future tense. Like we will eventually receive the, the outcome of our faith. But Peter is saying right now, you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls right now. Now I thought about that and I thought, what is this? What is this? And then my mind went to John 10, verse 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've came that they may have life and have it Abundantly, You see, this is what Jesus is talking about here is the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls, right? An abundant life. That's what Jesus is talking about. And what he's saying is, is that that abundant life that will be ours in the end when we receive praise and glory and honors can be yours now. But see, The world tells us that an abundant life is a life that's free of suffering. But the reality is that the abundant life that Jesus talks about is a growing relationship with him that is born through suffering. That's the abundant life. The abundant life is a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the abundant life. Right here, right now, as I walk through, endure suffering, and my faith is tested and proven as genuine, my love for him and my trust for him grows, that's the abundant life that Jesus Christ promised. That's the abundant life that Jesus Christ gives. That is the great glory of heaven. It isn't mansions. It isn't gold streets. It is Jesus Christ. And we get to see him. But even now that we don't see him, we love him. And our relationship with him grows. And we achieve the... The outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls, a soul that is free of sin and filled with love. That's what God is doing through Jesus Christ in us right now. But my mind didn't just go to John 10. My mind also went to John 15. And when I got to 11, verse 11, and I just thought, wow, it all comes together, doesn't it? Here's what Jesus says in John 15. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that will bear much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing, right? This is abundant life. Abiding in Jesus Christ, growing in our love for Jesus Christ. Though we can't see him, we love him. Though we don't see him now, we believe in him, we trust in him, we abide in him. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered and thrown into a fire and are burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved Me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. I mean, you see this. This is Jesus. This is a growing relationship. As we abide in him, as he abides in us, his word abides in us, we reject sin, we cling to holiness, we suffer never losing faith, never losing heart, never losing hope, never giving in, never giving up, growing in our relationship with him as our faith is tested to be genuine, our sanctification increases. We, we work hard to put sin to death, to obey him. This is abiding in him. This is abundant life. Then look at verse 11. These things I've spoken to you, That my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you are grieved by various trials. The tested genuineness of your faith is revealed. as being more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire. That you may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you haven't seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. What is that joy? It is his joy that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. As we suffer, we abide. As we abide, our faith is proven. As our faith is proven, our joy is increased. And now no longer does sin have dominion over us because we've been given a new birth. And that new birth has enabled us to suffer well, to never lose faith, cling to Jesus, to know that we have a a guarded inheritance, to know that we have a genuine faith, to know that we have a given glory that will be ours, and to know that we are in a growing relationship with him, our joy is increased. That is so much bigger, that's so much higher, that's so much better, that's so much far beyond any suffering in this world. And that is so much bigger than anything in this world that might produce a temporal, temporary, fading joy. This joy is everlasting because it's His joy given to us. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.